Well, I invite you to please rise for the call to worship. The call to worship this morning is from Psalm 50, verses 22 and 23. Mark this, then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, how gracious and good and wonderful you are. Oh, Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit, giving the gifts of repentance and faith. Oh, Father, how we desire to give you all thanks, glory, praise, and honor, now and forever, in Christ's glorious name, amen. amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to sing with me number 247, We Praise You, O God, Our Redeemer, Creator, number 247. and pardon, not only continuing to humble ourselves before God, but also in preparation for our time of the Lord's Supper toward the end of our service together. We're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. I'll be reading those, leading us in a prayer of confession, 
in pronouncing the pardon that is found in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting at verse 11. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, we thank you. How good, how gracious, how merciful, how wonderful you are. Well, Father, again, we consider what it is that you are holy, holy, holy. Your name is holy and to be high and lifted up. So, Father, again, we want to come before you, to humble ourselves before you, and to take this time to confess those sins of thought, word, and action over this last week. Those times where we sought to do things according to our purpose, plan, and will rather than yours. Those times where we thought little of you and more of our own selfishness and pride. Father, we thank you that you so graciously continue to discipline us as a loving Heavenly Father. So, Father, again, we take this time to confess to you in our hearts and in our minds. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Know this, that if you trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've been made alive through the power of the Holy Spirit, given the gifts of repentance and faith, know this, 
that you have been set free from sin, from death, that you have been adopted, made right with your heavenly Father who loves you and has given you eternal life. In Christ's glorious name, amen. For a time of confession of faith, we're looking at Article 7 of the second main point of doctrine, Christ's death and human redemption through it. Article 7, faith as being God's gift. I invite you to read this along with me. But all who genuinely believe and are delivered and saved by Christ's death from their sins and from destruction receive this favor solely from God's grace, which he owes to no one, given to them in Christ from eternity. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, we thank you. How good, how gracious, how wonderful you are, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Father, we thank you that you have promised to guard, guide, grow us in the faith. According to your grace, your mercy, your love, from eternity past to eternity forward. Oh, Father, how wonderful you are. We thank you again that because of the atoning death of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, that we who are in him, in whom his spirit dwells, that we can come with confidence before you. <laughs> Not because of our righteousness, but because of his righteousness. Not because of our strength, we are weak but because of your strength, because of your grace, your mercy, your love, and all for your glory. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you that with confidence we can come before your throne of grace, covered in the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we come before you, and we cry out for our brothers and sisters in Christ, facing persecution, opposition, imprisonment, martyrdom for the sake of your gospel, for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd be their strength, their comfort, their hope, their peace. Father, we pray for those who are caught in the midst of the ongoing warfare and bombing taking place in the Ukraine. Oh, Father, we pray for peace. We pray for wisdom. We pray for guidance. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ caught in the midst of the warfare or fleeing as refugees. Father, we pray that you would be their strength, their comfort. Father, we pray for, for those churches in Poland, Romania, surrounding areas reaching out. Father, we pray in particular for Reverend Mihai for his church there in Romania. Father, we pray that you'd give them strength to reach out to these who are hurting and suffering with the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, with your love and your care. 
So, Father, we pray that you'd be their strength, their comfort in this time. Oh, Father, we pray for all those who are in a time of difficulty and challenge, of suffering. Father, we pray for Wendy Lou's mother, who recently fell and broke her hip in Canada. Father, we pray for wisdom and guidance, for for returning back to the United States, for this upcoming surgery. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would be with her in this tremendous pain and times of loneliness. Oh, Father, we pray that you would be her strength, her comfort, her peace. We pray for Wendy and her sister and others seeking to care for her. Father, we pray that you would just, just lead and guide through this whole time. Father, we do continue to pray for, for Wendy's sister-in-law, Didi, as she faces these cancer treatments, this pain and weakness. Oh, Father, we pray that you would be her strength, her comfort, her eyes would be directed to you. We pray that you be with her and her husband, Andy, the daughters, oh, Lord, that your truth would be lifted up in the midst of this, this difficult and painful situation. Father, we do continue to rejoice how you bring such strength and peace and joy to your people, no matter what the circumstances. Father, we do lift up to you grace. We thank you that in the midst of this time of hospice care and where she may be growing weaker physically, that you continue to grow her joy, her peace, that you are her strength, her comfort, her life. Father, we thank you for this. Father, we also thank you for Marcia, how you continue to be her strength and comfort and peace. Father, we pray that you just continue to hold her in your righteous right hand. Father, we do pray for those who continue in a time of illness. We pray for those in the Heard family continuing to face illness, that you would be their strength, provide healing and comfort, that their eyes would be directed to you in this time. Father, we pray for Deborah, for healing and strength and comfort for her. Father, we thank you for your loving care is so perfect. Your timing and your will are perfect in all things. Oh, Father, we pray for our church. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would help us, help us to be of one heart and one mind, striving side by side for the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, crucified. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us. Help us to love you. And help us to so love one another. That we would care for one another. That we would encourage one another. That we would correct and rebuke and exhort one another with all patience and love. Building each other up in your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we pray that you would grow our unity, grow our love in your truth. Oh, Father, we pray for wisdom and guidance as you use us as ministers of reconciliation to reach out to the lost. Oh, Father, we pray for the lost, whether they be friends or family members, people you've brought into our lives for many years or just recently. Oh, Lord. We pray that you'd give them eyes to see and ears to hear, new hearts to believe. Only you can bring them from death to life. Help us, O oh Lord, to, 
to proclaim your gospel. Father, we want to take this time again just to lift up to you those names that we cry out, O Lord, that you in your grace and mercy, according to your purpose and plan, that you would bring them from death to life. We lift their names up to you now in our hearts and in our minds. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have promised that you will call and draw all of your elect of every tribe, nation, language, and people, all whom Christ has died for and intercedes for at your right hand. Oh, Father, we pray that you would use us, help us, oh Lord, to be faithful to you and to lift up your gospel in every opportunity that we have. Father, we thank you for your grace, goodness, and love. Oh, Father, we do pray that you'd continue to strengthen us. Help us, O oh Lord. We pray that you would grow us so that we'd live more and more according to the Spirit and less and less according to our old fallen flesh. Father, we pray that you would fix our eyes on things above, not things below. Help us, O oh Lord. Fix our hearts and minds on our blessed hope, the return of your son, Jesus Christ, and the new heavens and new earth. Oh, Father, as again we consider the promise that you will make all things well and right for all of your children. Again, we say the prayer that our Savior taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, I invite you to please rise and read with me Isaiah 66, verses 22 through 24. The final verses of Isaiah. There's such a key summary that it would be fitting if we stood here and read the entire book of Isaiah together. But I encourage you to do that at home through the coming week. But now we are going to focus in on these last verses of Isaiah 66. So please read with me Isaiah 66, starting at verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon, and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, 
declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be in abhorrence to all flesh. Let us pray. Oh, Father, how good, how gracious, how wonderful, how holy, how just you are. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Your word is all authoritative, all sufficient, inerrant and infallible. Oh, Father, we are absolutely dependent on your Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and discernment. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would grow us in the truth. For to know the truth of your Son, Jesus Christ, is to be set free. In Christ's glorious name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. At this time, I'd like to invite, if there are any children who would like to, come up to the front row here for our time of children's message. Now, have any of you made something? You put a lot of care and, and you made it. You want to make it as nice and beautiful as possible. And then it broke. Has that ever happened to you? You put all this time, energy, and effort. You made it beautiful and it broke. Has that happened to you? Yeah, that's happened to me. And that's really sad, isn't it? I mean, you, you put all that into it. Well, what's amazing about the end of Isaiah is this. God makes clear that he created, that he made a heavens and earth. And in that heavens and earth, we fell, we sinned. So therefore, sin goes throughout that creation. So that throughout that, this creative order that we live in now, there's pain, there's brokenness, there's sadness, there's suffering, there's all these things. But at the end of Isaiah, we're reminded that God is making a new heavens and new earth for all those who believe in Jesus Christ, who trust in him as their Lord and Savior. And when Christ comes back and, and we're in that new heaven, new earth, nothing will bring any pain, any suffering. Nothing will be broken again for those who are with God forever and ever. Isn't that amazing? What a promise. So that's what ultimately Isaiah is saying is there is a way to have life that is full of joy, full of peace, full of love forever. And it's in Jesus Christ. So as we're going through this passage, I just want to remind you of the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ dying on the cross 
for the sins of those who would trust and believe in you. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that you have promised to make a new heaven and new earth where you will wipe away every tear, where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more brokenness for all of your children. Father, we pray that you would help us to love you, knowing that you first loved us. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. Amen. You guys head back to your seats. We find ourselves again in Isaiah. And in verse 22 of our passage, we're again reminded of the ultimate consummation, the ultimate final declaration of God's plan of redemption. This is what everything is building for. From the beginning, God made clear that he, out of his grace and mercy and love, will make a people and he will be their God and they will be his people. And that God will dwell with his people forever. And that his people will be able to look into his face and have nothing but joy and peace and love and all that is good, all that is right. That's the promise made throughout the Old and New Testament. That's the promise of a good and loving just and holy God who will make a people for his own. So that's what we find here in the last verses of Isaiah. Again, that key and crucial theme. So again, Isaiah 66, starting at verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord. So shall your offspring and your name remain. So the first part of verse 22, again, we're reminded of this new heavens and new earth. We've seen this promise throughout Isaiah. This promise is throughout the Old and New Testament. And what is being made clear that the current heavens and earth is prepared for destruction. The heavens will be rolled up as a garment, as a scroll. The earth will be burned away. Everything that is of this current heaven and earth will be dissolved and removed and replaced by a new heaven and a new earth. We saw that just in the previous chapter, Isaiah 65. If you look back at Isaiah 65, Verse 17, you see where this is introduced, this new heaven and new earth, and what it means that it shall remain, that this new heaven and earth shall remain, rather than the current heaven and earth, which will not remain. So Isaiah 65, starting at verse 17, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. 
That's the former things. That's the things of this fallen heaven and earth. The things of pain, the things of suffering, the things of sin, the things of of all the curses due to the fall and rebellion with God. All those things will not come to mind anymore. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Verse 18, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem. This is talking about the depict in Revelation, the new Jerusalem that comes down where there's, there's no longer a separation between heaven and earth. The new Jerusalem comes down to the new earth, depicting the complete unity of heavens and earth, God dwelling with his people. Again, Isaiah 65, 18, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. Verse 19, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more. These are the former things that will not be remembered, that will not exist anymore in this new heaven and new earth. Isaiah 65, 19 again, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more. That's this amazing, beautiful, blessed promise and hope that we have in Jesus Christ. This is what the Apostle Paul refers to as our blessed hope. The Apostle Paul also refers it to as what is still remaining in our salvation. Those are the two key ways he describes this waiting and longing and hoping for all those who have been adopted in Jesus Christ, brought from death to life, that as long as we who have been justified, as long as we are being sanctified, in this fallen heaven and earth, that we are to be longing. We are to be hoping. Our our minds are to be fixed on. Our hearts are to desire more than anything else. Our eyes, our hearts, our minds, everything is to be fixed on Jesus Christ and his coming kingdom. The return of Jesus Christ in the new heavens and new earth. Again, Isaiah 65, verse 19, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. So we see where it's Isaiah 66, verse 22, and Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 19, which inform Revelation 21. So if you turn to Revelation 21, you see where we see the full fulfillment of these promises in Isaiah. And it's at the return of Jesus Christ, at his second coming. Revelation 21, starting at verse 1. We see here where John, who is receiving this revelation, is speaking here. Then I saw a new heaven, a new earth, 
For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. And here we see a direct quote from Isaiah 65. For the former things have passed away. No more to be remembered or to be brought to mind. Then verse 5. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's the great blessed promise of Isaiah. Remember what the key problem was for God's people in the prophecy of Isaiah. The key problem was in their self-righteousness, in their hypocrisy, and in their rebellion, they could not be holy as God is holy. They could not save themselves through their own obedience to the law. They had rendered themselves helpless and hopeless as rebels against God by breaking his law. So they had no way to be in the presence of a holy God. So that's the problem. What's the solution to the problem? Why Isaiah 52 and 53. So God will send his eternally begotten son, the Holy One of God, the one who never sinned once, who obeyed everything in the law, everything of God's word, perfect holy obedience, that he would send his son to take on flesh to pay the penalty of the sins, the wages of their sin, which is death, that he would die on the cross on behalf of those whom God will make his people, that he would satisfy his holy just wrath on behalf of those whom he will make his people. So it is because of Jesus Christ that there can be people of God in this new heaven and new earth. That's why Revelation 21, now you go to verse 7, you see this. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So you have to conquer. So how do we conquer? If Revelation 21.7 says those who dwell in this new heaven and new earth have to conquer. So how do we conquer? We conquer by putting all our faith, all our trust, all our hope, all our passion, all our love, all our desire in the one who conquered on our behalf. 
in Jesus Christ. He won the victory on the cross. He lived the perfect holy life. He died the atoning death. He was rose victorious from the grave. He is at the right hand of God the Father, interceding on behalf of those whom God is making his people. He's the victor. And we conquer in the victory of the victor. That's what verse 7 is speaking of. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. That's why Ephesians 1 talks about us because God has adopted us, because he has sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us as a guarantee of his love for us, that we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ, the eternally begotten son. We then are heirs also of this heritage of dwelling in this new heaven and new earth as God's loved and perfected people. Again, Isaiah 66, verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord. To remain means it will never, ever come to an end. It cannot be shaken. And that's the key reality spoken of the author of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews, if you go to Hebrews 12, the author of Hebrews says to believers that our blessed hope, the the result that brings about our thanksgiving and gratitude is that God has brought about an unshakable kingdom that will remain forever and ever. This kingdom belongs to the victor, Jesus Christ, and all those who enter into his victory by faith alone in Christ alone. Hebrews 12, verse 27. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That's this current heaven and earth. It's, 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 it's shaken, 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 and God's going to do one ultimate final shake where it's just, just removed. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. There's that word remain. That's the key focus here of Isaiah 66, verse 22. God's remaining people, his kingdom, his name remains, and those who are in his name remain in his glory forever and ever and ever. Hebrews 12, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The author of Hebrews 12, verses 27 and 29 here, has in view our passage of Scripture. It's speaking about what remains God's kingdom and everything else is going to be burned away for God is a consuming fire. 
So there's only one safe place of an all-holy, all-righteous, just, good, loving God who is a consuming fire. There's only one safe place. In him. To run to him. To throw yourself before him. That he is your everything. That's why Isaiah describes the ultimate form of rebellion as those who, in reality, in their hearts and minds, have little or no concern or care or love for God. Yet, they presume that they're right with God. It's that sin of presumption that Isaiah chapter after chapter after chapter has exposed to be a human-created, demonic deception that leads to destruction. Is that presumption? The opposite of presumption is gratitude. A humble gratitude. And that's what the author of Hebrews is speaking of, is our acceptable worship with reverence and awe. That's why, again, if you look at Isaiah 66, now verse 23, you see it's talking about, it's describing this eternal worship, this eternal giving God praise, glory, and honor. Isaiah 66, verse 23, from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me. There's that ultimate praise and glory and worship of the one true God in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit of God's people of every tribe, nation, language, and people. That's the full gathered people of God in the new heaven and new earth. We can have that gratitude and thanksgiving because we have been made the offspring of God. Again, that's the last part of verse 22 of Isaiah 66. Again, Isaiah 66, verse 22. For as the new heavens and new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. Now, the key question there in Isaiah 22 is, who is being referred to? So shall your offspring and your name remain. Well, ultimately, again, you have to go back to Isaiah 52 and 53. Because that is how offspring are produced for God. What I mean is all the adopted offspring of God. There is one, Jesus Christ, who is eternally begotten. But how God makes a people is he, through Jesus Christ, being our substitutionary atonement on the cross, that we are then, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, adopted as his children, that we become children of our Heavenly Father. 
so shall your offspring and your name remain. We are offspring of God because we are offspring of Abraham, according to the faith, because we are the offspring of Jesus Christ through his death. That's what twice in Isaiah 52 and 53, it says, though he dies, his offspring shall remain. And his offspring will continue. That's the offspring. Those are the redeemed. Those are the saved. Those are the adopted. Those are the ones whom Christ dies for on the cross. So when it says, so your offspring and your name remain, that's speaking about Jesus Christ. His name. He is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. His name is high and lifted up. And all those who are in him will remain forever and ever. We remain forever and ever. And as you see displayed in Revelation 7, you see the gathering of the elect of every tribe, nation, and language singing holy, 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 giving all praise, glory, and honor to God out of gratitude and thanksgiving. That's the ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah 66, verses 22 and 23. It's this gratitude, it's this thanksgiving. You see this, a beautiful verse of this is Psalm 50, verse 23 of this, this gratitude. Again, because verse 23 of Isaiah 66 says, from from new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me. This eternal praise and glory of God in worship. <clears throat> Psalm 50 verse 23 describes what's the key reality of this worship. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way right, I will show the salvation of God. So again, it is that, that gratitude, that thanksgiving, that overflowing joy and rejoicing that I was dead and now I'm alive. I was lost and now I'm found. I was under condemnation and wrath and God in his love has justified me and placed his love on me. It's that gratitude, that thanksgiving is our praise and glorying and honoring of God forever and ever and ever. And it begins now. It begins now. That's, that's why it doesn't matter what, what the suffering or context of pain or context of of affliction we experience on this heaven and earth. As the Apostle Paul says, these momentary afflictions, he doesn't even consider to be able to be on the scale with of the unspeakable glory at the return of Jesus Christ. That's how Paul sets that up. Now, he doesn't delegitimize true pain and sorrow and affliction and difficulty. We face those and, and, and God gives us peace and, and a joy in the midst. But gratitude, thanksgiving is always to be present in our hearts and minds. 
That is the eternal worship and praise we see presented in Isaiah 66. So we look at the beautiful glories and the promises of this in Isaiah 66, verse 22 and 23. And then you have verse 24. Now, this is amazing. This is the last verse of Isaiah 66. This is the final statement by the prophet Isaiah. And what's so important to understand here is God is glorified. In both the redemption of the elect and his just judgment and wrath on the reprobate. Both those things give God all praise, glory, and honor. Both of those depict God in all his unity, all his attributes, and who he is. Both of those. You do not have one. Without the other. This is who God is. And God is both glorified in the destruction of the reprobate as the redemption of the elect. So that's what verse 24 is speaking of here. Now we've seen in verse 22 and 23, the glorious salvation of the redeemed in their lives of gratitude and thanksgiving forever and ever. No more pain, no more suffering, no more brokenness, no more hurting. That's the glories of heaven is described in 22 and 23. And then verse 24 describes the horrors of hell. That's what verse 24 is speaking of here. So Isaiah 66, verse 24. And they shall go out. This is a powerful depiction of all the redeemed. So here are all of God's people, all the redeemed. And it has this depiction of the redeemed going and looking at a site that produces within them praise of God and rejoicing in God. So that's the context here of verse 24. Isaiah 66, verse 24. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched. And it is this verse, verse 24, that informs the entire New Testament of eternal conscious torment in hell. This is the verse that informed what it means to have eternal punishment, judgment, and the wrath of God on you. And the two key descriptions there is the worm shall not die and the fire shall not be quenched. That's the depiction that hell is eternal conscience suffering bearing the full wrath and judgment of a holy and loving God. So we see this depicted again and again. This was spoken of earlier in Isaiah. If you go to Isaiah 34, this is where this, is, this was introduced, this key theme here that we see is, is the final word here in Isaiah. 
Isaiah 34. We have here in Isaiah 34 this, this proclamation that goes forth to every tribe, nation, language, and people. Now we see later in Isaiah, when it comes to Isaiah 40 to 44, that, that the gospel is going to be sent forth to every tribe, nation, language, and people. And Jesus will be lifted up as a signal how God calls all who he makes to be his children. But there's another message that Isaiah sends forth to every tribe, nation, language, and people. And it's this one. Isaiah 34. Draw near, O nations, to hear and give attention. O peoples. And Isaiah's already made clear this also includes the residents of Jerusalem and Judea. This is every tribe, nation, language, and people. There is no more distinction between Jew and Gentile in this. That's what Paul does in Romans 1, 2, and 3. He makes that clear. Again, Isaiah 34, verse 1. Draw near, O nations, to hear and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear, and all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations, and furious against all their host. He has devoted them to destruction. He has given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out, and the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountain shall flow with their blood. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. Night and day, it shall not be quenched. This is talking about the fire prepared for those whom God will slaughter in his wrath. Again, verse 10, night and day, it shall not be quenched. Its smoke shall go up forever. From generation to generation, it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. Here we see where it's using the imagery of the coming destruction of Jerusalem and Judea as a, as a metaphor and a picture of the ultimate eternal destruction of hell. There is something that depicts God and all his holiness, all his love, all his justice, all his attributes. And it's the cross. The moment of the cross is the greatest display of God in his simple unity of attributes. On the cross, you see God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would... Believe in him, would not perish, but have eternal life. On the cross, you see God's wrath poured out on his son. Forsaken was the son for those who would come to trust and believe in him as their Lord and Savior. You see the holiness of God. You see the jealousy of God. You see the justice of God. You see every attribute, everything that is God is portrayed on the cross. So also at the end of this heaven and earth and the new heaven, new earth, you see God's attributes on full display. You see his grace and mercy and love for the redeemed and you see his holy, just wrath on those 
who are not in his son, Jesus Christ, in whom his spirit does not dwell. Just as at the cross, you see in the day of the Lord, all of God's attributes put on full display for his glory and his honor. There's this aspect for the redeemed of rejoicing that all of God's and their enemies are finally destroyed. It's actually a part of our praise of gratitude and thanksgiving. That's how the Bible depicts it. We rejoice and thank God that he would so love us that his son would die on the cross for us. And we thank God and praise him that he has destroyed our enemies. That, that's all part of that song, of that eternal song of gratitude and thanksgiving. You see this, this summarized in, in just two verses, uh, Psalm 58. Psalm 58, verses 10 and 11. You see this depicted here, this summary that, that we're going to look more carefully at. So Psalm 58, verse 10. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. This is that vengeance depicted in Isaiah 34 of God rendering his vengeance against his enemies. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous, surely there is a God who judges on earth. Surely there is a just God, is what this is depicting. That's so crucial. Right now, again, we are in a time where the dominant headline and the focus of most media outlets is the ongoing war in the Ukraine. And as you see that or hear things of that, one of the first words that comes to my mind is, is where's the justice? I mean, this is, where's the justice? Well, there will be justice. There will be justice. As Romans 12 says, vengeance in mind saith the Lord. There will be justice. Not necessarily on this heaven and earth, there's many a psalm that cries out, why do the wicked prosper? But there will be justice. So just as we give God all praise, glory, and honor that he would save us in his grace and mercy, we give God all praise, glory, and honor that he brings his justice and he destroys the wicked. That is a part of this. So if you go to Mark 9, this is where Jesus gives his interpretation on Isaiah 66, verses 22 and 24. What a blessing. Here you have Jesus, the eternally begotten Son of God, who took on flesh, the Word of God, and now he's going to give us the main point of our passage. Isn't that very helpful? And then the Holy Spirit inspires so that we have this so here's, here's this a blessed moment where Jesus quotes from Isaiah 66, verse 24. And what an amazing context he uses this. So Mark 
chapter 9. This is Jesus giving us the main point of verse 24, of the last part of Isaiah 66. So Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 24. Here's the warning. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. It's that powerful depiction of, of one who would, who would mislead, who, who through false teaching, false doctrine, through immoral lifestyle, whatever corrupt and rebellious way to, to lead a little one astray, to lead people astray to destruction. It'd be better that a millstone be around their neck and then plunged into the ocean. So it's that context now Jesus is going to build up and then quote from the last verse in Isaiah. So it starts at verse 43. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. There's this first reference to our passage. Verse 45. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. Verse 47. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye then with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Verse 48, this is where Jesus directly quotes from the last part of Isaiah 66, verse 24. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. That's Jesus quoting from the last verse of Isaiah, our, our passage this morning. So in light of this reality, in light that God will justly destroy all those who continue in rebellion against him. Those of every tribe, nation, language, and people. God shows no partiality in redeeming and no partiality in damning. If one does not trust and believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, it's made clear that they will be sent, they will be thrown into eternal conscious torment. Whereas Jesus quotes, and as Isaiah 66, 24, as Isaiah said, where the worm shall not die and their fire shall not be quenched. That means it will be a unspeakable torment forever. No annihilation, no escape, no ease of suffering. So you see where hell is the complete opposite of heaven. Remember what heaven is. No more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow in the perfect joy and rejoicing and love of your heavenly father forever and ever and ever. 
So it makes sense that hell would be the complete opposite of that. No more love, no joy, no peace, nothing good. Only unspeakable terror, suffering, and horror forever. It's this reality of Isaiah 66, verses 22 and 24, the depiction of heaven and hell. It's throughout the New Testament. Second uh, Peter chapter 2. Here we have Peter, and, and Peter makes reference to these two realities of heaven and hell. Second Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials... And to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Again, that's that depiction of the rescue of those who remain and the judgment of those who continue to rebel. You see this where Paul comforts the church in Thessalonica with this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 6, you see this depiction, verse 6 of 2 Thessalonians 1. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance, on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's that key word of Isaiah 66, verse 24, those who rebelled. So that's what Paul is giving us more detail of what that rebellion means. It means to suppress the truth, to not know God, to not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.9, again, we see where it points back to verse 24 of Isaiah 66. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. That again is the eternality of the worm that never dies, the fire that is never quenched. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Away from everything that is lovely, good, wonderful, that stems from God's glory. This, of course, is the depiction throughout Revelation. Revelation chapter 6 you have the martyrs, the saints under the throne that cry out, how long before you avenge our blood and judge those on the earth? That's the cry of the martyrs who died for the gospel. Revelation 11, chapter 11. It says this, verse 18, the nations raged, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged. For rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. 
There again, Isaiah 66, verse 22 and 23, heaven. Isaiah 66, verse 24, hell. Whether it's Paul, whether it's Peter, whether it's John through his revelation, it's Isaiah 66, verses 22 through 24 is the explanation of heaven and hell that every other scripture points back to. It's the foundation of this reality of how God brings about his ultimate plan of redemption. Revelation 18 talks about finally Babylon, which represents all the fallen realities of this world, is judged. And then you have at the judgment of Babylon, Revelation 18, verse 8, for this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And it's on God ultimately bringing his just holy judgment and wrath on those who do not trust and believe in Jesus Christ is what the hallelujahs are for. If you go to Revelation 19, you have hallelujah. So here's the hallelujah chorus of Revelation. It's Revelation 19. And again, we're taken back to Isaiah 66, verse 24. Remember verse 24 of Isaiah 66? So God has all his redeemed in the new heaven, new earth, and he takes them and they look at his holy, just wrath and judgment on the damned. That's what takes place in Revelation 19. Literally, you have this scene being played out for us at the end of Isaiah. Revelation 19, verse 1. And here is the cry of the redeemed when they see that God has finally, ultimately destroyed Babylon and cast all those who are against him into hell. It's Revelation 19, verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. That's a lyric of the great praise song to God in Revelation 19. That God is holy and just, and this is literally one of the lyrics of hallelujah. Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. That the worm will never die, that the fire will never be quenched, and those who would not trust and believe in Jesus Christ are in unperishable fire and torment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is all Isaiah 66 being fulfilled. 
But that isn't the last hallelujah. That's three of them. Let's look at the last one. Verse 4. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen. So, so be it. Let it be. That's amen. So, so be it. Let it be. This is, let it stand. Amen. Hallelujah. So, that's the last hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you servants who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out. Here's the fourth hallelujah. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. That's it. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He alone reigns. He alone is high and lifted up. He receives all praise, glory, and honor. Verse 7, let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So in the midst of the hallelujahs that God has ultimately triumphed over the devil and the demonic, over the beast, over the antichrist, and over all those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, the book of the Lamb who was slain, written from eternity past, all of them are thrown into the lake of fire, eternal conscious torment. But the last praise then is all of God's people again after they've seen and rejoiced at God's justice. Where do all the eyes ultimately get fixed? At the wedding feast. And that's where the bride, the church, made spotless and without blemish by the blood of Jesus Christ, looks upon the groom. Jesus in all his glory, all his honor, all his majesty. The Lion of Judah, the Lamb who was slain, our Savior and our Lord. That's why when Jesus quotes from Isaiah 66, verse 24, when he warns, when he says, ah, it's better to lose a hand, lose a foot, lose an eye. I just want to clarify, he isn't talking about literal hands, feet, and eyes because you could remove all your hands, feet, and eyes and you will still sin the sins that he's referencing. So just just that. Just to help you understand. What he's getting at there, what's the deeper reality of that is this. If you seek to keep your earthly life, you'll lose it. You'll lose it. And all you will know is eternal conscious torment. Where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. If you want to keep your earthly life of of self-righteousness, of pride, of living for the things of this earth, 
you have no eternal life. But if you lose your life for Jesus' sake, for the gospel, you have joy unspeakable and full of glory in a new heaven and new earth. That's more wonderful than we could ever hope or imagine. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace, goodness, and love. Oh, Father. Hallelujah. To you receive all praise, glory, and honor. For your Son, Jesus Christ, is the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to you except through him. Father, again, we are amazed at your grace and mercy. Each and every one of us have earned and only deserve the judgment of hell. But you in your grace and mercy would send your son, your only son, to die. That for those whom you give the gifts of repentance and faith, we would not know hell, but the glories of heaven. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us to live lives of such gratitude and thanksgiving. That rejoicing in you would be ever in our minds, ever in our mouths, ever from our hearts. In Christ's glorious name, amen.
to take, to eat, to take and drink, to take this time to remember Jesus Christ crucified on your behalf. If you do not trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if, 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 if you, you do not know that, and if, and if you are not, if you have not been united in that regard to Christ, then, then I ask you, do not, do not take of it. This, this is a meal. This is that celebration of the ultimate feast with the Lamb and his bride. This is for the people of God who trust and believe in Jesus Christ as their place. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. Again, we are amazed at your grace, mercy, and love. Father, we pray that you would prepare our hearts and minds again to remember your Son, Jesus Christ, crucified, dead, buried, risen, ascended, and coming again. Our blessed Lord. In Christ's glorious name, amen. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's We also invite you that once you come and take of the juice and take of the bread, that you would wait for us to take it to you.
invite you to please rise and sing with me our closing song, number 463, Oh the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus.
receive the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I invite you to close with me with the doxology.